you're a young, nervous civilization about to send out its first deep space probe, you want to make sure whoever finds it is going to want to be your friend. And the best way to do that is to send a mixtape. Earth's Mixtape is the podcast where we dive into the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. One song at a time, one picture at a time, one whale song at a time. Welcome back to Earth's Mixtape. This is the podcast where we review the contents of the Voyager Golden Record. I'm Mike Dunlavy, and with me as always is... Roby Austin. And... Hannah Ayler. This episode will be discussing musical selections from Bulgaria and the Navajo Nation, as well as photos showing people from around the world in the Golden Record photo archive. So let's begin. start today by talking about track 19. Track 19 is titled Islel Jedelio Hagduton. Apologies for the pronunciation. And this is a piece from Bulgaria. It runs four minutes and 59 seconds and is performed by Valia Balkanska. It's recorded in the village of Arda, which is a Bulgarian village on the border with Greece. So the title of this song translates to Delio the Hadjuk has gone outside. Delio is this man's name, and Hadjak means an outlaw type person, or can be seen kind of as a Robin Hood figure. So Delio is a rebel leader, or was a rebel leader in the late 17th and early early 18th centuries, and he led a group of rebels in 1720 to attack Reykovo in revenge for the murder of 200 locals who refused to convert from Christianity to Islam. So he's kind of seen as this local hero standing up for the people. And he's real. He's a real historical figure. He's not a folk music hero of a like. Is he is he a Robin Hood folk hero or is he a? Yeah, he's presented as like a protector uh, of the people and uh, an opponent to the local authorities. But there's like his some kind of historical documentation that this person probably existed in the real world. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. He's 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 as real as not Robin Hood. As <laughs> not Robin Hood. Yep. <laughs> And I had in my notes that this is considered. This is this is played on bagpipes. Uh, Murmurs of Earth refers to this as the second piece of bagpipes on the tape. But as we talked about in an earlier episode, we're not entirely convinced that that other piece was bagpipes. But this is a song that would be sung by shepherds, or in this case, a shepherdess. Uh, they talk about Alan Lomax making a case for bagpipes being the instrument of the shepherd because they kind of sound like sheep. And it's a kind of thing you can play on your hillside overlooking overlooking your flock. Lomax is quoted as saying, the instrument lies in the shepherd's arm like a sick lamb. Often, under, <laughs> often in Bulgaria, the bagpipe is covered in wool and it produced a kind of bleeding sound. I suspect shepherds create much of our European tune stock. They had plenty of time and an, and an adaptive audience. That's pretty cool. It's a nice idea. For me, a long time, uh, not huge fan of bagpipes. It is a reason for them to exist. <laughs> that I hadn't appreciated before. And I quite like this piece. I, I think it sounds different from other things on the record. And yeah, it's pleasant. Yeah, it's nice to listen to. The bagpipes and the singing are both very beautiful. I also kind of like the the implication from Alan Lomax's statement that maybe the other planet people will be, you know, like sheep in their brains and, and enjoy the music that shepherds sing. Ah, so this, this, <laughs> this could be our way of presenting ourselves as shepherds for them, that we're ready to guide them to the next hill <laughs> or dale. We're not. <laughs> I've also got notes here about the history of Bulgarian folk music. 
it is surprisingly well documented. Not surprisingly, just it is very well documented. A fellow named Vasil Stoin transcribed over 12,000 songs by the time he died in 1939. And the composer Bela Bartok started a process whereby all of these songs would get recorded. And the Bulgarian Institute of Music now has over 100,000 recordings of native folk music. Were it only possible for other countries to be as well uh, equipped as that? That's amazing. And... Once again, as a ignorant North American lady, I just want to say that when it starts, every time it starts, I think, oh, it's Raps, it's the uh, Gershwin. Oh, it's, it's Rhapsody yeah, in Blue. Rhapsody in Blue. <laughs> so I like to believe that uh, Gershwin heard it and uh, said, oh, I, I like that opening. That's a, that's a great catch. That's a yeah. good, it's a killer hook. And it's interesting, my knowledge of folk music and its presentation of folk heroes is fairly limited and is probably fairly limited to more sort of classical English folk music, where these kinds of tales, I think, would normally have a more upbeat music, like a, a more of a sort of rabble-rousing beat, whereas I feel this piece is, feels more like a lament to my to my foreign ears who can't understand the lyrics. It feels like a sad song for a folk hero who's doing the things that Hannah described earlier. Yeah, well, in this in this particular song, the lyrics actually tell us that he is imploring the local notables not to convert people uh, to Islam or he subtly threats that he will kill them. Ah. Um, and then he's warned by his love that they have cast a silver bullet to kill him because something that's popular in these folk legends about him Although he was a real person, they like to embellish it and say that he can't be—he was not able to be killed by weapon, any conventional weapons, and that he could only be killed by silver bullets. So was, maybe he was a werewolf. Was he a werewolf? <laughs> Possible. Um, so did he only show up once a month, <laughs> or did he disappear once a month? Good question. Um, so she's warning him that they've cast a silver bullet, and he says, "Don't worry, no man has yet been born that can kill me." Oh. But if a woman grabbed the gun. <laughs> Good point. On the point of what sounds uh, melancholic to our ears or more upbeat, English as a spoken language tends to be spoken unevenly in trochees. Da 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 da. That's how we speak. Trochees. Da 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 da. Actually, it's da 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 da. A trochee is a just any a rhythm. It's a rhythm where the accent is on the first syllable, like rocket. Most two syllable words in English, Roby, for example is a uh, trochee. Michael. Trochee is a trochee. <laughs> Holy cow, she's right. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, point of the story is that our music tends to, our folk music especially, tends to follow the rhythms of our speech. So in languages that are less da-da-da-da-da-da, like English, for example, if you look, listen to French folk music, it tends to be more evenly, the, the notes tend to come more evenly spaced apart than they do in English folk music. They don't have dotted notes, for those of you who are, know how to read notation. And uh, I don't know what Bulgarian sounds like when you just hear it, but maybe it sounds like Bulgarian folk music and more smooth-flowing and alighting like that song. That's very interesting. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for saying it's very interesting and <laughs> implying that you're not going to edit it all out. <laughs> on to talk about some of the pictures. We're going to talk about pictures 60 through 71 in a grouping that we're categorizing as folks, pictures of people from around the world. And we're going to start by talking about picture 60, 
Picture 60 is titled Scientists and Chimpanzees, taken by Van Morris Goodall for the National Geographic Institute. And it shows scientists, including the famous Jane Goodall, taking pictures of chimpanzees. And this photo was actually encoded and sent in color. Oh, nice. That's And the photographer, Van Morris Goodall, is actually Jane's mom, who was very excited that her photo, not only her photo, a photo she took, but a photo of her daughter would be sent out into space. Yeah, that's, that's pretty exciting. I like Jane Goodall. I think it's nice that, that we're sending her image as a representative of our people. Agreed. Uh, yep, yeah, and they, they make note that this picture also shows jungle, which we haven't really seen in the photos so far. Also provides the OSPs, the outer space people, with another example of our native ecosystem. It's a slightly, for me, strange picture of a jungle. It looks very brown, whereas usually jungles look quite green. But I think you can chalk up some of that brown to an exposure issue. It looks a little bit overexposed in the middle, where you have sort of, it looks like the sun shining in on one part, but everything else is in more shaded light. That's right, but you do, it's it's not so much overexposed because you can see Jane Goodall and the chimpanzees very clearly, so the, the things that it's taking a picture of are properly exposed. But I think this is a very good photo. And it's got chimps in it, which we haven't had yet either, which is... Perhaps they'd have been better shown in the diagram that we talked about in the previous episode about evolution. That's right. But here they are here, and you can clearly see us studying them. So the OSPs will know who's, uh, who's the, who's the, who are the big people on this planet. <laughs> so the chimpanzees weren't in the evolutionary pr- pictures at all? I don't, I don't, it wasn't in that diagram we looked oh, at. We looked right. at fish, the shark, The fish with the foot, mammal. Right, okay. Um, moving on to the next two pictures, which we're going to discuss in tandem. This is pictures 61 and 62, t- titled Bushman Hunters and Accompanying Silhouette. The photo is by N.R. Fairbaum of Life Magazine, copyright 1946, from the Family of Man collection. And the silhouette is a drawing of the two people in the photo and the antelope that they are hunting. With length scales of each. In the silhouette, that's right, yeah. And the, the length scales also would give the OSPs an example of perspective in the photos because the person witnessing the hunting going on in the foreground is shown as being 120 centimeters tall and the beast that they're hunting in the background is shown as 120 centimeters long clearly a shorter length scale in the silhouette but meant to show that they those length scales are the same when the perspective is removed so i'm kind of wondering why they did this in two separate photos because we've had a lot of photos that have just had the length scales straight up on them Um, But here they chose to put the silhouettes with the length scales on that, and it seems to me like they could have just put it on the photo and had another empty picture slot to put something else in. Um, That is a very interesting point. Yeah, it's an excellent question. Definitely one of the reasons they included the photo is they wanted to uh, show hunting, that this is a thing that humanity does. Very, very small cross-section of humanity does hunting of the sort that is depicted in that photo, and even in 1977. Sure, but it, it is... It's hunting. I suppose it, it, if you didn't know what a gun was and if you didn't want to tell an outer space person what a gun was, it would be difficult to show hunting any uh, other way. Yeah. Now, Hannah, is there anything, any particular detail you want to talk about in this photo? Um, Dog watch? This is an antelope. No, no, no. To the left of the antelope. 
There is a dog. Oh my goodness, I didn't even see that. This is oh, dog number I failed two. failed my number one role on this show. <laughs> dog number two makes its appearance. But there's, there's three dogs in there. There's okay, I'm going to blame this because I printed it out in black and white. Oh, you're just I, in black and white I think too. It, I think it is a black and white photo. Damn, okay. But I, I think there's at least two dogs there. I'd are say they, there's three dogs. Are they dogs or are they like jackals? No, they're dogs. It's it, it they talk about the dogs in the in the photo in the photo caption. All right, so our dog watch, which we uh, had one account of one dog from episode seven in picture forty four, is now up to four dogs. All right, now does this picture of a couple humans looking to kill a beast qualify as a bummer? Does this break the no bummer rule? <sighs> so the beast is still alive. The beast is still alive. Which is slightly better, but the people are hungry. It's a, it's an interesting question about the bummer. I mean, I suppose it's a it's a question of how we delineate where our inhumanities begin. Is it okay for us to admit that we kill other animals and not admit that we kill other humans? Certainly, if Jane Goodall or her photographer was about to kill one of those chimpanzees, I think we wouldn't have included this photo. <laughs> it would be terrible. But there was that picture of the crocodile who did not look well. Or alive. Or alive, yeah. yeah. Well, it's, that's just a point I wanted to... Oh, yeah, that's a good point. Into. So I think now we're going to move on to picture 63. Picture 63 is titled Man from Guatemala. And it's a photo taken from a United Nations archive. It's a close-up of a pleasant, smiling fellow holding a machete. He's also holding a stick. He's got both. He's also he's ready for all sorts of business. And he's got a great smile on his face. Fantastic. And smile. a good hat. And a very good yeah, it's a good hat, good smile. And this is I, I love this picture. It's a great one. It's really good. And they make a point of saying it very clearly shows our opposable thumbs and our how we hold things. Oh, which I think is a valid is, yeah. point. Yep. All in all, I think that's a good one. It's an interesting point, actually. All the pictures that we've seen so far today have had somebody holding things. The Jane Goodall picture, uh, the scientists are dealing with some equipment. Yep. That's interesting. Yeah, but that, that's, that's the best close-up, I think. Of holding, you, uh, yeah. Where you can see a human hand holding a, a, holding a tool. I just realized that in the hunter picture, there's actually five dogs. Hey, there's hey, two thanks. right behind the antelope, and then there's three over to the left. So our dog you count is actually up to six. That is a lot of dogs. I'm, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're on it. Thanks, Hannah. It's my duty. <laughs> Moving on to picture 64. Picture 64 is titled "Dancer from Bali," by the picture is taken by Donna Grosner for the National Geographic Society, uh, and it shows a woman in a fairly festive attire, possibly no, definitely dancing. <laughs> the title is Dancer from Bali. Yeah, I know. And she's she's got her hands in a Balinese dance gesture. She's got a great headdress on. It looks like yeah. it's made of flowers. Or yeah, something. it's gorgeous. Very and neat. her expression is awesome. She does not look like she takes any crap from anyone. I know. See, I was just about to say her expression is very placid. Oh, no. It's sort of very, very... I would disagree with that. All right, fair enough. They make a note of how they wanted to... They One of the reasons they chose this was to show a complex version of dress and ornamentation, which mm. I think this satisfies very well. Yeah, she's also wearing some nice bling on her wrists, some sparkly. It, absolutely, yeah. Okay, so another winner. We're being very positive today. <laughs> it's the dog. Can I say, uh, as long as we're talking about the lighting, that's also a beautifully lit picture. Like, 
Absolutely. Uh, looks, she's she's coming out of the shadow in a very nice way. Yeah, and it looks great in color, which is what oh, which you are looking about, but it <laughs> was sent in black and white. Um, which still looks pretty decent. It still looks pretty decent. It's it, The lighting actually maybe is even brought out more in the yeah. black and white. But I would say in the color photo, it almost looks like she's being lit from maybe a fire. Like she's sort of lit. Very, she's, there's yeah. a very golden glow coming from below her, yeah. like below her eye line. Uh, picture 65 is titled Andean Girls. And this is a photo taken by Joseph Scherschel of, once again, of the National Geographic Society playing into my theory that a lot of these photos in the days before Google image search, a lot of these photos just came from perusing through uh, National Geographic magazines. I'm wondering about the use of the word girl. Some of those people do not look under the age of, say, 20 to me, but it's hard to tell uh, with pictures, right? Uh, it's a good point. Anyway, th- what the photo shows are four people dressed in very colorful attire. Fairly, I would say, unenthusiastic expressions on their faces? Well, neutral. Neutral. Yeah. yeah. They did make a note that these folk come from a part of Peru that was also the source of that Peruvian piece of music we listened to and talked about several episodes ago. Was this one sent in color? No. Okay. No. Actually, the only photo sent in color we're going to talk about today was the photo of Jane Goodall. Okay. You can see their hands, so you can see bits of adornment and you can again see their their woven clothes the, yeah the, the garments are lovely mm-hmm. and the the woman in the middle looks like she is maybe has like a handful of food or something you can see her reaching into using one hand to reach into the other t- to pick something up maybe mm-hmm. and earrings which is a strange human adornment that might surprise an outer space person mm-hmm you put holes in your flesh. <laughs> well, and and I, I think obviously are adornments because they're not in everybody's ears. Yeah. Moving on to picture 66, it's entitled Thai Craftsman. This is a photo by Dean Conger, once again for the National Geographic Society. It shows a man holding a wooden sculpture while he's carving it. And fascinatingly, he's holding the sculpture with his feet while he uses his two hands to use a hammer and chisel. It's pretty impressive. It is so dangerous looking. I get the heebie-jeebies <laughs> just looking at it. But the elephants he's carving look amazing. Yeah, he looks like he knows what he's doing, for yeah. sure. And this this is, an I think, an excellent demonstration of a craftsman using hand tools. And feet. And feet. It, it, it may give an inaccurate impression of... Uh, <laughs> of how, how dexterous our feet are. <laughs> well, as a, on average, I think this man is exceptional. And, we sh- and I'm happy to acknowledge that right now. Uh, I would never do that. I would wear heavy, heavy, heavy boots if I was holding a knife and a chisel that close to my feet. <laughs> and in, in the next photo, these two photos are actually meant to go together a bit. Picture 67 is titled Just Elephant, photo taken by Peter... Kunstadter, and it shows an actual elephant with a person atop it. Looks like the elephant is being used to move some logs around at a logging encampment. And this shows an actual elephant to perhaps give the OSPs an idea of what the craftsman was doing, that we make artistic representations of the things we see around us in the world. I think this transition between the crafted elephant to the real-life elephant was A+. Plus. I That gave me a, a big smile when I saw that. It's like when you see in movies when they have the really cool transitions, like, mm-hmm. uh, I can't even think of an example of one. 
like someone says, I've never been sick a day in my life. And then you smash cut to them in the hospital. No, it's like, or they get the postcard from Paris and they're like, like, oh, I wish I were there. It's like when a thing turns into something else. Like, like for example, a soccer ball, you zoom in on a soccer ball and then it becomes a Death Star or something, for example. Oh, right. I remember that's happening. (laughs) (laughs) When you zoom in on a snow globe and then it zooms out and it's still snowing. Yeah. No. Or something like that. I can't think of a good example on the spot under pressure right now, but... There it's, are many. It's we, okay. None of us the here. The Tintin movie nice. had a lot of them. Yes, it did, actually. Those things. Yeah, yeah where it would go from the toy boat yeah. to the flashback of the adventure yeah. on the big boat. exactly. Yeah, nailed it. This reminded me of that. <laughs> All right. We can now move on to picture 68, <laughs> which is entitled Old Man from Turkey. This is a photo taken by Jonathan Blair from Woodfin Camp Incorporated. Uh, we get more close-up of hands and a face. Um, we got an example, clear example of facial hair and obvious headgear and glasses, things that I don't think could be interpreted as part of the body. The lenses, which are, you, I think you can clearly see are transparent in the photo, may help to give the information to the OSPs that our eyes are what we used to see with. Hmm, interesting. But they are an optical instrument. Also, we get old and change shape as we age. He's He's got fantastic wrinkles, just glorious. Oh, yeah. he, he, he really does. And he's smoking. And he's smoking. Which, does this break the no-bummer rule? Well, not in 1977 it wouldn't. But I have no idea what he's smoking. They, they make some slight comedic allusion to it in the photo caption, but I'm going to assume it's something perfectly safe. As smoking goes. Yes, yeah, as safe as, <laughs> as any burning stick in your mouth is. That, yeah. that kind of safe. Yeah. But he looks, he looks happy. He obviously made it to a respectable age with his Maybe habits. he just, uh, this is his first puff. Yeah. <laughs> He's wearing a checked jacket. He is wearing a very 70s checked jacket. That yeah. is the kind of thing car salesmen I think of as wearing. <laughs> Sorry, uh, I just had to, to dwell on his I, no, spectacular I, wardrobe. I right thank now. you for doing that. I was going to mention it. Picture 69 is titled Old Man in a Field by Bruce Bauman of the National Geographic Society. Hannah? So this picture has an old man in a field with some flowers and also a dog. Yay. So our dog watch is now up to seven dogs. We are now up to seven dogs. The third photo to feature a dog. Yes. And in fact, this rates a mention in Murmurs of Earth, uh, where they say, we hope the recipients will guess that dogs are our friends. I think that's a good message to put out there. And this dog is a little white one, and he's got his tongue sticking out. He looks very happy following behind the old man in this field of flowers. Yeah, and the old man kind of has this cool, I'm just going for a happy jaunt through the meadow. There's some possibly daisies in front of him. Mm-hmm. He's got a great beard. Yeah, he's Fantastic got very, very beard. white hair. The daisies are very, very white. The dog is very, very white. It's a nice composition. I like this photo a lot. Thumbs up, Bruce Bauman. And in fact, in black and white, you've got like the very, very white hair around the dark face and then the very, very white uh, petals around the darker, uh, whatever the centers of flowers are called. I'm a scientist. I know that there's a name for it. I just don't know what the name is. Well, then we're going to move on to picture 70. Picture 70 is entitled Mountain Climber by Gaston Rebuffat who is actually the fellow in the photo. So I think it'd be, it's kind of weird that he's also credited for the photo. Mm. That's a heck of a set the timer and get <laughs> in position. What we see is a man standing atop a very precarious looking outcrop of rock overlooking some majestic mountains. I can't believe they didn't send this photo in color because it is really quite stunning. This I, is a legit great picture. 
yeah, this just makes me queasy thinking that he climbed up that little tiny thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's a little nuts. It does look like the and then disaster happened picture. Yeah. <laughs> well, some fun facts about Gaston Rebuffat. Oh, no. Who is an amazing mountain climber. He, w- he was awarded the French Legion of Honor for his alpine exploits and his uh, photography. And uh, there is a thing in mountain climbing called a Gaston, which is named after him. Mm. Uh, according to Wikipedia, so, you know, pinch of salt and all that, uh, a Gaston is a climbing grip using one hand with the thumb down and elbow out, often thought of as a reverse side pull. The grip maintains friction against the hold by pressing outward towards the elbow. My co-hosts are now demonstrating this to each other in an attempt to understand what's happening. We look like we disapprove. <laughs> they are they are standing, sitting here with so, their thumbs down, pointing at me in a position I choose not to take personally, <laughs> or the, that the end of my life is near. So thumb down, elbow out. And you're pulling towards your elbow. So, yeah. so it's like you're opening a, you're a sliding so you, door. It's like you're opening a saloon door. It's yeah. maybe like you're, you're slipping your hands into a crack. Your fingers, yeah. not your hands, but your... Uh, non-thumb fingers Your fingies. into a crack <laughs> and then I still I, but you know you could probably describe a basic for the, the absolute most basic first uh, mountain climbing maneuver and I'd have the same confusion yeah. so perhaps so, that's my problem yeah we're a bunch of doughy folks who've never I mean I don't know Hannah, Hannah, you, Hannah's, oh, no. Hannah's okay. hard as a rock this is a lie She's, she, she knows everything okay nope. well one thing that so I have I have a question. What what does this photo tell the OSPs? I want to have this conversation. What, what we sent this photo. What interpretation could there possibly be from this? Well, we're risk takers. Interesting. Yes. I think it goes with that showing off kind of theme that we had going on. We just want to oh look look how high up this mountain we can climb and don't get hurt. Well, I, and I don't think that's a bad thing to show. No. Off. Just if they expect us to be climbing mountains all the time, they'll be disappointed. They will be disappointed in me especially. <laughs> Although if they're just looking at the 7 billion of us, apparently they won't be. Apparently, you know, Enough there are people us. on mountains all the time, all, right. all, all the time. Yeah. So to quote Murmurs of Earth, uh, the only point would be the accomplishment of doing it. If this message is communicated, it will tell OSP something very important about us. I substituted OSPs into that. Quote, <laughs> just so you know, that that's my terminology, not theirs. Um, so it, I think it's a it's a take on the classic, you know, why did you climb Mount Everest? Uh, because it was there. But I, I don't, I, there's many reasons you could have climbed this that are beyond just because yeah, you did it. Like maybe he's lost something. He's looking for it across did, the mountain. Did I drop my watch up on that mountain? <laughs> Is it mountain? down there? Hmm. Am I, maybe he's shouting to someone on the next outcrop. Yeah, maybe, maybe he's, he's about to fly Yeah, away. maybe he's looking for a shortcut down down to the valley. Or maybe he maybe saw some flowers up there he wanted to go pick. Yeah, looking for lost sheep. So, mm-hmm. and another, th- one last thing I wanted to mention about this photo, and I'm not entirely sure what the answer to this question is, but we're currently looking at the full photo. The photo as presented in Murmurs of Earth, which may be the style of the photo they sent on the record, uh, the, this picture is severely cropped around the climber. You, 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 Right now, we're looking at a photo with some magnificent Alps, Alp happenings going on in the left hand. Most of that is cropped out of the photo as presented in Murmurs of Earth. Well, that's just silly because if I, cl- I mean, I, I have been king of the castle in the not Alp version of that. <laughs> the snowbank outside Toronto. Sure. Uh, 
so you need the Alps to 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 communicate all the rest of well, that. You, so you, you can see some of it. I do think the gist is given, but it seems like a strange thing to crop. It's Especially such a when you have that whole space available yeah. for each picture. And it could be they just cropped it for the book. I don't know if it's cropped on the record or not. Hmm. Let's so hope not. This is yeah. So this is just a question I had. It also shows, kind of, it also kind of shows another thing about our geography, which is that mountains don't have trees at the top. Absolutely. And it is high enough, you, you could even interpret that the snow is related to the altitude. Mm, yeah. Now, are there any dogs in the photo? <laughs> None that I can see. See, this is why I don't do mountain climbing, because you can't bring your dog with you. Would you, you people do. Would you be happy or sad to see a dog at his side? Oh, no, no, no. That would make me very uncomfortable. Okay. Then we're going to move on to picture 71. Picture 71 is titled Gymnast Kathy Rigby. And this is a photo by Philip Leonian for Sports Illustrated. And it shows a woman, I assume Kathy Rigby, on a balance beam on a multiple exposure photo where she is doing a backflip roll on the beam. So you get about, I would say, at least eight or nine images of her at various points. Yep. And on the balance beam, are they superimposed a time scale from left to right, starting at zero seconds, and then it takes her five seconds to accomplish this maneuver. And that's to give the OSPs an idea of the speed of our movements. Now, if I challenged you to find a more confusing photo to send, <laughs> could you send it? This makes it look like we have superpowers. Yeah. There are a few things that I find more confusing about this than others. One is that not all of the exposures appear to be either either they're not all the same length or they're not lit all the same. In some exposures, she's quite bright, and well, in other exposures, she's not. And that could just be the angle her body's at when she's... Because I'm sure this is all taken from one movement. So if she's twisting her body in certain ways, she might be reflecting light better than others. It is weird that it doesn't seem to be lit from the camera's direction. It's, it seems to be lit from the left. Okay, but she's got light... From the left in this one and from the right in yeah. that exposure. Yeah. I, don't, I, I don't understand what's going on with the light in this picture. And no, that's, in it. That's, that's a good uh, point. And it, it also is not quite believable that she really went perfectly from left to right in this picture. Like it doesn't, it's hard to imagine a person following that track. I mean, I know gymnastics is often a set of maneuvers that are hard to imagine. But it, it's I, difficult to make sense of. I, I think this. I think it's confusing. Absolutely. I think if you wanted to show the rate, if the point of this is to show the rate at which we move, just have a person walk. Just have a, have a series of exposures yeah, of a person. Don't start with walking. the most extreme case. Don't start with Kathy Rigby doing her gold medal thing on it, a balance beam. She does have great form. It, it like, hats off to her. It's, Absolutely. Uh, it no, is, this is this isn't a knock against Kathy Rigby. This it's is just a confusing picture. I think it's a very confusing picture. Oh wait. We didn't talk about the threat to humanity level of the pictures. They're all low, except for maybe uh, Gaston up there, who's just really a threat to himself. I really worry about him standing on that outcrop. <laughs> uh, what about the dude who's smoking? He's a threat to himself, too. He, he's, he's had a good run. He's <laughs> and the hunters? Well, the guy with the machete. But he's got such a winning smile. He's got such you a winning smile. It's like he's a good guy. It's not a threatening are, machete. The hunters plays high on the TTA scale. The threat to antelopes. <laughs> but threat to humanity, I'm sure they're, they're solid dudes. Yeah, no, I think I think I, I have no trouble with the OSP seeing these photos. I, the, if, if I was asked to approve, all of these photos would go on. In fact, Kathy Rigby may freak them out a little. <laughs> Why are there nine of her? 
we're now going to move on to talk about track 20. Track 20 is titled Navajo Night Chant. It runs 57 seconds and is performed by uh, members of the Navajo Nation, which is currently sitting on a four-way border in the southwest United States between Arizona, New Mexico, Utah, and Colorado. This piece was recorded by William Rhodes who of Columbia University, who made thousands of recordings of Native American music between 1939 and 1952. These recordings are now uh, held by the Library of Congress, and many have been released by Folkways Records. So he was not a member of the Navajo Nation. He, he was, was just there to observe. That's right. He was an ethnomusicologist. Actually, he founded the graduate program in ethnomusicology at Columbia, and this was his part of his life's work, is to go and make recordings of these ceremonies. Do we know anything about the ceremony that he was recording, the, the thing that precipitates so the, a night chant? So the Navajo night chant is a is a huge ceremony. The history and just culture of it all is well beyond my um, ability to talk about or get into now. What I've been able to gather is that it's a very important ceremony performed over several days involving dozens of dancers um, with the point of helping the sick and injured. It's a, it's a ceremony meant to call on their elders and gods to heal. So it's a healing ritual, and it lasts nine days from what I've seen, um, and is performed by the medicine man of the, of the community to cure sick people, but also to restore um, order and balance of human relationships within the universe, which I thought was pretty cool. So it's an excellent thing to include on the recording uh, yeah absolutely yeah and it's, it's a great piece this, yeah, might, is. this is one yeah. of my favorite ones on here i think we all agree on that though it's it's absolutely amazing and yeah, I've it goes on to, to the wedding mix yeah, <laughs> and another part of this night chant ceremony is the creation of detailed sand paintings so um, these are paintings they made with colored sand and they are exquisite i highly recommend anyone listening to this to just uh, search the internet for navajo sand paintings they are incredibly intricate. Um, the patterns and the designs and the motifs used are all symbolic of what they're trying to achieve in the ceremony. As I understand it, the, the person leading the ceremony, the medicine man or what have you, isn't the one who's making the painting but is dictating what is included into it. So this is actually the most difficult retru- or difficult ceremony to perform for the Navajo because the medicine man has to memorize uh, hundreds of songs and dozens of prayers and has to memorize how to create these hand paintings as well. So, and you said it lasts nine days? Uh, yeah, I believe so. Wow. I might be wrong, but I'm pretty certain it's nine days. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a lot of work for, for a medicine man to do. Um, there's also dancers that wear masks to, they, um, they depict the gods, basically, the representations of it, of the gods during this ceremony. And they are sort of leading the, they're leading the chant. It's not the actual sick and infirm who are expected to take part in this, I assume. I assume it's... No, they're not dancing. The sick are not yeah. dancing. <laughs> and there's, besides the chanters, there are some instruments. Do we know anything about what those percussive sounds are? I Is don't... Is it the dancers? I don't have anything on that. I, def, I feel I can hear actual drums being played mm-hmm. in the background but I and also s- kind of rattly sounds that could be dancers or could be rattles could be dan- yeah I, I don't have anything on that let us know listeners <laughs> please are you from the navajo nation have you been part of or witnessed one of these have you been cured by one of them we want to know because this is lovely we want to know more 
and perhaps we want to hear, maybe we should be checking out folkways, because this is 57 seconds of a nine-day ceremony. Yeah, yeah. that's my only complaint against the song, is it's too short. This, like, this, this I just get into the groove, and then, oh, it's over. Okay, and now, for the hottest segment in podcasting, <laughs> Hannah, you're trapped on a UFO. You hear some Bulgarian bagpipes coming down the way. How do you feel? Pretty good, I think. I think it's very... It would be a, a rather comforting piece to hear because of the singing. I think it's very human sounding, so I don't think it would. I'd feel very comforted by it. I think you'd, you'd feel like you were in the in the care of a proper shepherd. Yes, exactly. Okay. I'm just a sheep being swaddled by my shepherd. <laughs> and the night chant. Oh, I love it. I think I think that'd be great. That's all my one of my top ones to hear okay. on a UFO. So you wake up on a UFO. You hear I that just hear up. this and I start dancing. Right. I'm healed of all my sickness. I'm in touch with the universe. Fair enough. Perfect. All yeah, right. and you know that there's a beautiful sand painting somewhere exactly. nearby too that you get to hopefully see it. Thanks for listening to Earth's Mixtape. We'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes, and maybe we will read your name on a future episode. Reviews will help people find out about the podcast, and maybe tell your friends about us. Did we make a mistake or an omission? Heck yeah, we did. Let us know all about it on Twitter and Instagram. We're at Earth's Mixtape. Or email us at earthsmixtape at gmail.com. Earth's Mixtape is produced at St. Mary's University in beautiful Halifax, Nova Scotia, Canada.